Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries. And I hope you, our listeners, are ready for part two. This is a part two of our conversation with M. Scott Boren, who is the president and consultant slash coach at the Center for Community and Mission. Uh, We had a lot of fun the first time, the first part of this interview. Uh, We didn't want to cut Scott off. We wanted to make sure we got the full time with him, and so we decided it was better to, to make two episodes out of this. So that's that's what we've done. As we said in the first one, he has written over 10 books, working on others. Uh, his website, which we recommend you go to, is mscottboren.org. And he was the pastor at Woodlands, Woodland Hills Church in Michigan. St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota. I knew it was an M word. <laughs> I met Minnesota. I said Michigan by accident. Um, and so this is our uh, part two. Uh, I highly recommend you go back and listen to part one if you haven't had an opportunity to. Scott does a great job of, of helping us to uh, get a clearer picture of what it means to be missional and specifically a missional small group. Anything else we need to add before we jump into the interview? No, I, don't, I can't think of anything. All right. Well, we won't, uh, we won't delay. Here's part two of our interview with M. Scott Boren. Um, well, an, another question that, that you ask and that I'd like to hear you, um, and I think you've, you've touched upon this, is that what ways of living would manifest in being a church on mission with God? Well, that's exactly what we have to do in the sense of we have to cultivate practices that are going to empower people to listen and discern what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our church. And and this requires one of the things I'm I'm really been impressed upon is, uh, for instance, learning to what it means to make every effort to enter into God's rest. That's a, mm. one of the most paradox. And Hebrews talks about this. Yeah. Make every effort to enter into God's rest. We don't equate that with being missional. When we think about being missional, we think about yeah, activity and work and reaching people for Jesus and discipling people and social justice and confronting social evils and all these things that we equate with work. But my, the question I have is, how would we take on that imagination, the missional imagination, through the lens of make every effort to enter into God's rest. Make every effort not to be on mission with God, but to enter into God's mission. That mm-hmm. is, enter into the rest of what God is doing. And that is, the, to enter into God's mission and, and to, to adopt practices that are going to be uh, missional are, uh, are kind of backwards in some ways. This isn't about making things happen for the sake of God, as if God is up in heaven and we are down here. And we are left to ourselves to change the world. Right. That's the way right. I hear so many talking about mission. Mm, yeah. it, and it just puts all the pressure back on us. Mm. And and I'm like, what's new about that? We've been doing that for decades. <laughs> it's the American way. <laughs> it's the American way. That is that is the gospel done through the American worldview. Yeah. 
And the mission of God is something that where we enter into God's rest and, and understand that we are participating into something that's beyond us that we cannot do. And it calls us to prayer. It calls us to get on our knees and to intercede as if our prayers actually matter. It calls us to discern what God is doing in our neighborhoods and to have conversations. It requires us to be patient because the work of God takes a lot longer than we'd like it to. Mm. It requires time. It requ- and, 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 and pastors, it requires pastors to get out of their offices and be with people and have lunch with people and think about hospitality. Yeah. There are so many things. It's like, wait a second. Isn't that what kind of Jesus did? He ate with people all the time. Yeah. He had conversations. It, he didn't force his way up on people. It's this, it's this subversive discovery of God's work that we can't make happen. And it creates these aha moments where we go, oh, that's what God is doing. I, why, do you, why couldn't I see that last week? Yeah. yeah that's what I, I really appreciate about your work and the, your intersection with also the work of Alan Roxburgh. Yeah, that was kind of my mind too. That, because yeah. I remember in, in, in most of, several of Roxburgh's books, he talks about the importance of discern, that we need to discern right. what God is up to in the neighborhood. That, you know, and it's, it's really shifting the paradigm, the, the, the dominant paradigm, at least in, I'm speaking about United Methodist congregations, where we think we're, it's our responsibility to go out and transform the world, yeah. rather than to understand that God is already at work in the world, and our job is to discern what God is doing and then go and get involved. No, sure. I, wait, I thought the way we do this is the pastor casts the vision for the people, <laughs> and they get in line with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> But that's what we expect, because that's the way leadership has been taught to us. Exactly. Strong yes. leaders catch the vision, and we are we are the sheep, and we do what the leader tells us to do. Yeah. But what if the way of the Spirit is for leadership to cultivate environments where it's not just the pastor who is discovering mm. what the Spirit is saying, but we're discovering it together? And we're experimenting our way forward. We're imagining our way forward. We're, we're play. In some ways, it's almost playful. It's joyful. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things yeah. I I realized in this missional conversation is if we are going to be salt and light, which ties into something that's attractive and invigorating and beautiful, we have to ask ourselves: Are we a people of laughter? Mm. To be Love missional it. is just as much about, are we able to laugh in the face of evil? Hmm. But yet the missional conversation often is so ominous, austere, and heavy. Hmm. Yeah, because it's true. our responsibility to change the world. And it's our responsibility to save the church. And the question I'm, I'm, I'm learning to ask as I interact with pastors and interact with uh, leaders in churches as I'm, as I'm consulting with them is, it's like, in what ways are you laughing? Or what ways are you eating with one another? In what ways are you playing? In what ways are you being a light in the midst of the darkness that's offering the world something that's alluring and beautiful? Yeah, that is wonderful. I'm taking notes as you're talking, so I apologize for the pause <laughs> there. I mean, it also intersects, I was just at an intergenerational conference, and that's very much what they were advocating in terms of intergenerational ministry is a ministry about eating together, 
playing together, yep. the use of imagination. And for me, my, t- my title is Director of Adult Discipleship, and one of the things I've learned about adults is we're pretty bad about imagination. Sure. Right? I mean, and I think that's why an intergenerational group can – it, it's funny. When you bring adults and you say, hey, we're going to color something, you know, I think on the outside we think, man, these adults are going to hate this. And inevitably, in my experience, when we color with adults, adults are like, yeah, we get to color. They don't say it that way. They sort of <laughs> have this facade of, oh, okay, sure, we're going to color. But once they start, they do it because adults don't play enough either. Not not well, not the way you're talking about. Right. Um, and so this use of imagination and, and really the thing I would like for you to expand upon that I think is so important in this conversation is discernment. The slow work of discernment. Sure. Right, that that is backwards to the way I I think we typically think of how leadership works. Yep. Can you say a little more about discernment and what that might look like then in a small group to be discerning together what yep. God is doing? Yeah, I think I've had to think of this in terms of uh, the way I was trained. I, I studied New Testament studies with Gordon Fee uh, at Regent College, and he taught biblical exegesis and he he taught about the need to just sit with a scripture and to sit mm, with a verse yeah. and read it over and over and he he had all these things his, his you know how to read the bible for all of its worth is one yep. of his best-selling books yep. he talked about you know this way of just being immersed in a passage and which is immersed in a a, a book of the bible and just letting it seep into you and and and, and then your eyes are open to what it means yeah. And the word for that is exegesis. It's a technical mm-hmm. word. Now think about, okay, how do we do something similar? Discernment would be equivalent to that. How do we? We're discerning what the scripture means. What is the spirit saying through the scripture? And it requires sitting with. And and in you know, Eugene Peterson has this book called Eat the Book. Yep. Eat this book. And uh, how do we eat it? Well, in the same way, I think we can carry over the same imagination into our neighborhoods. If we were to think about all our Bible studies and how much time we've spent into the Bible study, how do we study what God is doing in the world? Mm. If we t- put as much energy into our Bible study, I mean, in, 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 that we put into studying the Bible, into studying our world, yeah. and studying our relationships, and studying the struggles in our neighborhoods, and studying the, the struggles. And so one of the things I do in my book, Grouping uh, Your Church in the Way of Jesus, I have a whole chapter in there about ways to exegete your neighborhood, hmm. to exegete what God is doing in a world. And I talk about going for prayer walks in your neighborhood and asking questions, what questions to ask. And I also include this in my study guide that I just uploaded yesterday that's free. It's called Cultivating Community in the Way of Jesus uh, that leads a small group through this process of oh, how great. do you— how do you discern what God's doing where you live in in your church in your relationships? How do you just ask questions and meditate and think about those questions, and then talk with one another? What do you see? And it's it's dwelling in what God is doing in the world, yeah. and and um, and and op- asking the Spirit of God to open our eyes to it. And it boils. It's it's pretty simple. It's just. Asking God to open our eyes, us looking around and saying, "Oh, I forgot. There's a neighbor two down doors down the road, and her husband is recovering. He's going to be in bed for two Mm. two months. Yeah. What might we as a group do to be a blessing to her? 
Yeah. Maybe it's nothing, but are we even asking that question? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and it's little things like that that we can say, what God are you doing around us where we might get involved? What conversations are we having? Uh, where are the coffee shops and the people that are that we can begin to pray and intercede for people there? All kinds of things that can arise, but just beginning to listen and ask questions. And I can imagine for a lot of Methodist folks, it's gonna it's gonna be uncomfortable at first, right? Because what what I hear you, um, what I hear you pushing us towards is we've been pretty good at exegeting the text, right? About doing Bible study, but now you're yep. advocating to exegete the world around us with yep. with just as much fervor and and listening to. Um, so I've got more questions, Steve. Uh, I don't want to hog. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm going to ask another question then. Um, in that cultivating uh, small groups in the way of Jesus, you you uh, have a small part where you sort of make a distinction between small groups and missional groups. I think that's the way we put that. And, um, I, I, and I get what you mean by that, but I'd like for you to expand on that if you would. Oh, sure. Well, and it's a really difficult thing because I— I don't. I, in some ways, it's semantics because right. it really doesn't matter what you call them. There are a lot of missional communities that are not living in missional community, <laughs> right? Even right. though they have the title, and there are a lot of small groups that are actually, and through the years, for the last fifty years, we call them small groups, and by all kinds of things that are living on mission with God in community. Yeah. So it's it's really artificial labor labels. Sure. But what I'm trying to do there is to, to draw the distinction to say, you know, there's there's a kind of small group life that's very basic. It's better than nothing. And in Bible studies, for instance, we've done Bible. It's not, I'm not saying do that. That's shut them all down. Right. I'm just saying let's be honest about what we're getting from that. Mm. Yeah. And Without a normal comments. small group that meets for an hour and a half and you know talks about the book of James and and prays for one another because there's a few prayer requests and you have some cookies and tea and go home. Like I said, it's better than better than nothing. But that, let's not call that and equate that with participating in God's mission in right. community in our world. That's not the same thing. You go to South America, East Asia, uh, all around the world, and to you know to be in community on mission with God is risky in yes. these places. Yes, it 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 costs something yes. to become a Christian in a Muslim country or a, Booz, a, 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 a Buddhist country or in Africa where they're walking away from animism. Uh, it doesn't cost much for someone to be a member of a church in a small group in America. Mm. Ooh, yeah. um, so we have to learn uh, the missional small groups are those that are going to say, we're going to imagine life together in a distinctively Christian way and therefore adopt some practices that we're going to be committed to doing with one another. Mm. Yeah, well said. Any other questions, Steve? No. Um, um, I had another one, but I've, I've lost it. Let me let me um, let me ask this uh, for, for for those who want to follow up and find more information and in, in what some of your works. Why don't you tell us about your website and what you've got available on your website and where people can sure. find you on Twitter? Yeah, my my website's uh, elmscottboren.org, and I've got some blog posts on there. Uh, I actually have blog posts there where it talks about five ways of talking about missional church. So the whole missional, the question about missional, um, I, I kind of boiled it down into five primary uh, ways of language 
that people use of describing missional. Okay, uh, great. And uh, you know, all my resources are there. I've got free resources. I'm giving away a 256-page book that's targeting pastors who, and, and, and volunteer leaders who oversee groups. I am giving away um, a study guide for missional community. Uh, if you want the hard copy, you can get those on Amazon, too. Um, but there's also resources in there about training and uh, coaching, phone coaching that I offer, and on-site consulting and some other things like that. That's great. And you're on Twitter, at M. Scott Boren, is that right? Yep. I'm on Twitter, uh, and you can follow me there. At uh, I think it's M. Scott Boren. Is that what I am? Never look <laughs> at myself what it is. M. Scott Boren, yes, at M. Scott Boren. Um, well, and as we wrap up here, I mean, I, you know, what I hear you calling us to is, is a life of adventure, a life of a, a faith that's adventurous, that is going with God. Um, yeah, M. Scott Boren. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, so um, thank you for your work. Thank you again for, for calling us as the church and in some cases reminding us as Methodists, <laughs> you know, what we have in our DNA. Um, yes, yes. And so uh, so thanks. Any, any last this words of wisdom for us? It's been a great time to just chat about these things, yeah. and I hope uh, the people who hear this are, are blessed by what God is uh, saying through it. I'm sure they will be. Any last words of wisdom for us Methodist folks? Well, I, I, I think one of the things I want to, to say with people that are doing, moving into this missional is, is one of the things that my research has shown me over the last 20 years is um, if you want to produce a different kind of group, you've got to dive deep into this imagination. Hmm. It's not something you just do because you read one book and you go do it. Right. It's something that the Spirit of God has to grab a hold of you and shake our, your soul in such a way that you can't do anything else and uh, gather some people around you who are going to work with you in this and move the church. Don't do this by yourself just because it's your position Hmm. or just because you, you, you got a good idea, but let the spirit of God get a hold of you and two or three others who are going to move the church in this direction. Amen. Amen. So once again, I hope you enjoyed our interview with M. Scott Boren one of the things that I, I really stuck out to me in this part of the episode is where he talked about, I think you, Steve, and him had a short interchange about being missional and how God is already at work in the world. It's not as though we've got to conjure this up or go figure it out. God's already at work. And the thing that Scott said is that we are to um, cultivate environments of discernment and that we where we are to imagine, experiment, and play our way forward, which I thought was really interesting and different. And they talked about it, you know, too often the missional conversation gets really heavy. And one of the reasons it does is because we think the burden is on us. Yeah. And and he mentioned this thing about we're going to enter into rest as part of being missional. That's the, the first I've heard of that connection you had some good thoughts to, to share on that, so I'm going to kind of just toss the ball over to you and let you roll for a minute on on that connection between what it means to be missional and entering into God's rest and, and how that comes together. Um, well, one thing that came to mind, and we didn't really, Scott didn't really mention this, but uh, one of the ways I think and and this is I, I I've gained this particularly from Alan Roxburg, okay. who Scott has worked a lot with. Yeah, and I think one of the ways 
we, and particularly congregations and congregational leaders, can lead congregations in entering into God's rest, as Scott puts it, mm-hmm. is by taking on the practice of dwelling in the Word. Okay, yeah. Uh, dwelling in the Word is, uh, it's a sort of a modified Lectio Divina process. Sure. That, in fact, you can, there's a wonderful resource that's published by Church Innovation. Uh, for, no, that I, sounds right. Something like that. Yeah. It's a little pocket-sized book. Um, and so, and Roxburgh, and even the the writers of the of the book of the process, it's it's this valuable process for church councils to use. Yeah. Um, as they at the beginning of every meeting, set aside the first half hour to dwell in the Word. Yeah. And it's called dwelling in the Word because that's what you you and Roxburgh. And the writers of the book recommend you start with Luke 10 verses, I think it's 1 through 11, which is Jesus instructing the 12 to go out in pairs and to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God and to stay wherever they're welcomed to eat whatever is placed in front of them. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take any luggage, you know, lots of luggage with you, but just the clothes on your back, the sandals on your feet, and go wherever you're welcomed and proclaim the kingdom. And heal the sick, raise the dead, you know. Go where you're do, accepted. Do that kingdom stuff. Yeah, shake so off that, the So that's what yeah. that, and then they come back and tell Jesus about every all the wonderful stuff that happened. And so that's the text that you you Focus live on, you with dwell, that dwell in. you dwell in that yeah. for a year. Yeah. Every time you meet. Yep. And you ask the questions that are you ask are after you, the text is read is what captured your imagination? Mm. And the second question is what is God up to in this lesson for us today? And every time you come to this text, one, you know, month after month, something different is going to pop up. And that's, you know, I think that's one way of resting, you know, entering into yeah, God's true. rest. Because, one, you don't have to think about, okay, what are we going to read? And what you're going to live with this use? one scripture for a year. Yeah. And you're going to rest in it. You're going to dwell in it. You're gotcha. just going to be in it gotcha. and allow it to work on you. Yeah. Allow the spirit to work in you and on you. You know, you as individuals and as a body. Yeah. To help you, and then what that does is it helps you to develop to discern mm. what God is up to in your neighborhood. Develop some listening ears. Right. Yeah. You know, it opens your heart, your eyes, and your ears to be able to discern what God is up to. Yeah, I like that. So before you continue, uh, just a quick interruption here. The Intergenerate conference I went to, one of the projects someone did and reported on was using dwelling in the Word in an intergenerational context. Cool. Yeah, it was really yeah. interesting to, to hear how he had done this in his church and you know how um, younger folks and older folks, children and senior adults had had done this process together and mm-hmm. listening to each other um, really brought a new perspective on things. So yeah, that's um, sort of an aside, but can be done in, in many different different ways. So let's get back to this uh, part of, because uh, he asked this question, um, are we people of laughter? 
right? And and really that push he gives us, I think, to to use our imagination and to to be playful, right? And and there was a passage you brought up, uh, Ephesians two ten, I believe. I'll let you expand on that. Well, yeah, that was as I was listening to Scott talk about are, are we a people of laughter are we a people of, i think he talked about art um beauty, beauty of beauty. beauty yeah and that brought to mind is hmm i think he's been reading nt Wright, which is a good thing to do and uh his commentary on ephesians okay um, because I, I was, I've recently been reading a lot of Wright because I was a Bible study leader for an annual conference this uh, yeah. this summer, and the text that I was was uh, teaching with this annual conference was Ephesians four one to six, and in that first verse, Paul begins by saying, "I therefore, a prisoner for Christ," and then he goes. Well, anyone that's ever done exegesis and study in the New Testament of, of Paul Paul's knows right. that when Paul uses that word, therefore, that means you've got to look at why the therefore is there for. <laughs> yeah. I think, that, yeah, that's a cliche, but sure. what's the therefore, therefore? So I started my Bible study by doing a quick review of what Paul is saying in chapters one, two, and three. And I came across... And he writes little, he wrote this little five-page summary of Ephesians called the A Whistle Stop Tour of Ephesians, which I would be great small group resource. I noticed you used the word resource and not curricula, but go ahead. Right. <laughs> and so in each of the first three chapters, Wright identifies one verse that sort of summarizes okay. what Paul is saying in that chapter. So in the second, what brought to my mind is that Second chapter, he picks um, Ephesians 2.10, which reads, For we are what he has made us, what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So Wright argues that, and what comes before this is the famous one that lots of, particularly United Methodists know, sure. and I mean, any Christian knows, is Ephesians 2.8, in which Paul says, we are saved by grace through faith. Yep. And then, for we are what he has made us, yeah. created in Christ Jesus for good work. So we're saved for a purpose. Right. We're not just saved so that we can go to heaven, we can get our ticket punched to heaven. We are saved for a way of life. Mm. And so Wright argues that the good works that Paul is talking about here, that, that created in, were created in Christ Jesus for good works is more than good moral behavior. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. Yeah. He's saying, and what he, and the way Wright puts it, which I just love, is that we are saved to be God's poem. Mm, powerful. We're saved to be God's song mm. for the world, so that when people encounter us, they encounter God's joy, God's beauty, mm. even God's mystery. 
and particularly God's love, that we are to be the poem, and God's poem, God's song for the world is love, yeah. right? Um, and so we're to be a people who are about creating beauty yeah. and joy and laughter. So, and, th and uh, that's wonderful. And I, and I think that, I think that too simply can be interpreted as an individualistic endeavor. Yeah. God has created me <laughs> to do that. <laughs> Where then would you say small groups fit in that, right? What does that say to small groups about their purpose, right? You talked about our purpose sort of collectively. Now, what, what does that mean for small groups? Well, it's in the, the accountability, the support uh, yeah. that we experience in a small group that that we practice mm. the we practice the means of grace that equip us to allow God's song to flow through us yeah and it's the the, the again the accountability and support you know we learn from each other yeah. how to live as followers of Jesus in the world. Um, and it's through the practice of prayer, mm. of worship, of sacrament, and of being intentional about, and it's, it's those works of piety yeah. that keep us in touch with God Keep yeah. us close to God. One thing Discerning. I, one thing that came to me in my Bible study that I shared with the people in that annual conference that seemed to make people sit up and take notice is that, you know, and this is the purpose of really, I think the purpose of the works of piety is that when you spend time with Jesus in prayer, his holiness rubs off on you. Yeah. That, that idea of holiness rubbing off on me and That's you great. and all of us by spending time with Jesus in prayer and yeah, in worship. And collectively. Right, and worship. Yeah. You know, when we spend time with him at his table, yeah. surrounded by that cloud of witnesses that are both physically present and- Communion of saints. The, yeah. the communion of saints who are also present at that table. That holiness rubs off on us. Mm. And then we're able to go and share it with the world yeah. and to be God's song, that God's poem for the world. Yeah, and the only thing I'll, I'll add to that is it really gives purpose and direction for small groups, right? That they're not ends of themselves, right? Just because I've shown up to small group, you know, I've not done my work. <laughs> right. right. It's not over, right? The small group is an instrument to, to help us to, to... The small group is where you make sure that your life happens, your, your, your life in Christ, your yeah. discipleship happens. Yeah. So I hope that was uh, thought-provoking. I hope that's helpful to you in terms of what it means to have a missional small group. Um, so it's been very informative for me. I really enjoyed getting to know Scott Boren through this. So we, we hope this has been helpful to you. Um, and please, if there's um, applications you see that we haven't touched on, hope you'll give us a shout-out on Twitter or Facebook or email us. And be sure to... Um Visit Scott's website, 
mscottboren.org. Yeah, I know he's got at least two free ebooks on there, so it's definitely worth your time to, to make your way there. We do have a giveaway winner, and that is Warren Carswell from, uh-oh, can't read my handwriting, Southview UMC Roanoke, Virginia. Did I get that right? I think it's Southview UMC Roanoke in Virginia. Warren, there will be a um, some swag coming your way. So again, I hope you'll interact with us. Send us your questions and your comments on Twitter, Facebook, or on email. On Twitter, you can find me at Rev Scott's Tweets, also at UMC Adult Form. Steve? I'm at S Manscar. At S Manscar, that's my Twitter handle. And you can find out more of our resources at umcdiscipleship.org on the Discipleship Ministries website. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.